We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want to Josh Allen played so darn well in this game. And at third and 22, with a huge collapse on the line... He makes this play. This is backyard football. This is a running one way, finds Cole Beasley, first down, converts it, moves the chains. There's nothing to do with the pass interference there. If the Rams could stop him there, they win the game. Josh Allen finds a way to do it. And gosh, they give up 29 straight points in this one. Almost completely gave the game away. And Allen found a way. Look at his numbers over the last 14 games. 33 total touchdowns, three interceptions, passer rating 100, and 25 of those touchdowns were through the air, eight through the ground. Again, I know a lot of people are upset about the pass interference. I don't want to talk about that right now. Josh Allen found a way to win this game. Josh Allen was awesome yesterday. He's in that conversation. He's getting right up there. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was Peter Schrager from Good Morning Football on the NFL Network talking about Josh Allen further entrenching himself in the NFL MVP conversation with his performance on Sunday. I, I, I'm still not used to that, even though it's the second <laughs> week in a row that Josh Allen's going to talk about for MVP, MVP caliber season. It's a celebration, people. The Buffalo Bills are 3-0. We have a packed show for you tonight. <sighs> Let's jump right into the recap because we've got a lot to talk about, Chris. Our week three recap, the Buffalo Bills 35, the Rams 32. 
It starts with the stats of the game. Josh Allen, 24-33, good for 72.7% completion percentage, 311 yards, four touchdowns, one interception that someone on the officiating crew should be viciously attacked by a flock of birds over, and a 128.9 QBR. Jared Goff, 23-32, good for 71.8%, 321 yards, two touchdowns, one pick, and a 111.6 rating. Wide receivers Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, 14 of 16. It's an 87.5% completion percentage, 181 yards, good for 56% of all Rams receiving yards, two touchdowns, 100% of all Rams passing touchdowns. Bills red zone scoring, a perfect 5 for 5. They'd previously been ranked 25th in the NFL, converting just 50% of their opportunities. Tight end Tyler Croft, 4 of 5 for 24 yards, but two touchdowns. Wide receiver Gabe Davis, 4 for 4, 81 yards, a long of 39 along the sideline with a perfect toe drag. Bill's offensive line, Dawkins, Ford, Morse, Winters, and Williams. Cody Ford played 100% of the snaps at left guard. Quentin Spain, 0% on offense, 21% on special teams, indicating that he was healthy enough to play their third different offensive line grouping in 2020. Bill's second half defense, 29 unanswered points, and the Bill's run defense, 5.2 yards per carry versus the Rams, 4.6 yards per carry after three weeks, good for 22nd in the NFL. Chris, this game was a wild one. Unbelievable. It was the first game where there was an energy in the room, other than just people sitting around drinking, eating, dip, having a good time. Let's let's correct that. There was an energy in the room. It was a positive energy because we weren't at your place, which is filled with negative energy. What do you mean my place is filled with negative energy? You live there. Negative, <laughs> en- negative energy. Are you saying that coming into my house is like entering like God, uh, like Castle Grayskull or some place of... Immense dread. Yeah, it is. It just sucks the life out of you. <laughs> and yet you're there every Sunday. Well, yeah, because I have to be because of this. But, <laughs> but I mean, Sunday was a, a Sunday was an away game for us because we watched it at our friend Doug's house at a garage party, which Doug bought the one of the more obscenely sized TVs I've ever seen. Wall mounted it in his garage and made his two and a half car garage uh, essentially a party room. We watched it. Chris, watching with so many children in attendance was a weird experience, but it's growing on me. You, there was probably at least five times where you wanted to put a hole in the wall. (laughs) The emotional outburst, folks. I was doing so well. I was doing so well this season. I mean, first of all, that screen pass into the dirt, that drew some ire. Oh, it prompted Chris to respond to one of Nate Geary's tweets about Josh Allen's accuracy, about how that pass just immediately un- underscored that he's a bad quarterback. Well, yeah, I, like I tried to be somewhat analytical in that situation, but you're all emotion because my whole thing was that's such a quick pass. Does is he really ha- have his hands on the laces? Because that definitely affects the throw, and you were having none of it. No, I was having none of that. Because that's too. Listen, there's no. It, it's a past it's ten game, feet. Yeah, it's game day. It's your all emotion, no analytics. Also, as, you, as Mark would say, Sunday Drew. If you want to talk about a meltdown, the direct snap play. 
I genuinely almost, I was in the middle of taking a bite out of a chicken wing, obviously a drumstick because I'm a gentleman. And I thought, I really believed. Chris, you're talking about Oscar level acting by Josh Allen there. I genuinely thought that Mitch Morse had snapped the ball over his head. And the first thing that went through my head was throw that chicken wing. And the next thing that went through my head was how the hell do you snap the ball over a man who's six foot five? How does it happen? I have no idea. It's it all turns, acting. And then it turns out we're all wrong. And it was it was a well-designed play. Yep. I give Dable credit for trying to run it. I mean, if that was a theme of the day, Dable's creativity was something that came out of this for me. That I really was able to look at objectively as someone who, hey, hasn't always been the biggest Brian Dable fan. No, you were you were chewing him a new one in that second half, and especially <laughs> in the third quarter. Because, I mean, you know, it, it seemed like he was having another one of his third quarter meltdowns. The whole team was. I mean, the third quarter, the Buffalo Bills might as well just, like, punt on the third quarter in general. Like, I wonder if there's, like, an agreement we could make just to speed this up for everybody and say, hey, it's the third quarter, we're going to come out of the locker room, Buffalo's going to spot you 14, and we're just going to start the fourth quarter. How about that? Can we just agree to that? Truncate this thing for everybody. <laughs> God. Jesus. And then afterwards, folks, hilarious, Chris informs me that he hates my son. I do hate your kid. And his reasoning is kind of, it's interesting. He says it's because the Bills are 3-0 and in Jack's lifetime. And now... He's walking around. I mean, he can't even walk. I mean, you're just carrying him around. He's got his nose in the air like some uppity little bastard. My football team's better than than your football team. Yeah, no shit. Where have you been the last 20 years, Jack? You're angry at a t- you are angry at a kid who can't crawl yet. I just want I want to put that in perspective just so that our listeners can yeah, understand. Yeah, but he has but Jack has back hair. I want to I just so that you our listeners can understand. I'm not the only lunatic here. Chris just does a better job of packaging it for outside consumption. Correct. We also established that with the half dozen other people at the party, that when Jack is a teenager and I'm on my high authoritarian horse, I actually know enough people with enough different stories of my mistakes and my misdeeds and just the drunken nonsense I've done over the years. Because I'm such a big, dumb animal, my kid is going to grow up with a little perspective. Yeah, I can only imagine the stories that Jack's going to hear from old Uncle Doug. It's going to be great. Now let's, if we're talking about the game itself, I want to start with this because I received a lot of tweets, I got some Facebook messages on the topic. The officiating was downright offensive. And I have to get this off my chest before we go forward because it was the first time that it's happened this year and so it's like a fresh wound. I'm sure by the time November rolls around, I'm already going to be numb to bad officiating. But where the hell did the NFL find this Alex Kemp guy and his crew? I don't know. I told you after the game, well, we know who's not doing the Super Bowl this year to this crew. <laughs> well, I did some research on it, Chris, because I couldn't wrap my head around it. And there was a lot of people complaining about how bad the officials were. Here's what I found. Alex Kemp, head referee, right? Out of that crew who called our game, they were one of the few officiating crews to not be broken up from last year. They returned in completely intact with the exception of head referee Alex Kemp. Now, this group has former NFL player Steve Freeman is a back judge. I mean, Chris, you mean to tell me that a former player doesn't know the interception rule? 
They have a side judge, Dale Shaw, who made the call on the interception, who has eight years of experience. So it's not like he's new at this. And his field judge on the opposite side has seven. Neither of those are rookie officials. And the line judge has been officiating for 29 years, which is almost my entire lifetime. The fact that there was so much experience in that group, both on and off the field as player and officials, and yet they couldn't come together and just cobble together something as rudimentary of a conclusion as, hey, this is the rule on an interception. It's absurd. But I think that, Chris, here's what I think. Alex Kemp has five years of experience. He's the least tenured member of that whole crew, and he's new. That's like if you had a group at work and then you got a new boss. Is the boss going to maybe try to, I don't know, defer to the people that he just took over because he doesn't know them and he doesn't have their level of experience? Uh, since I work in the machining industry, completely different. Okay. They, well, they Here's the reason why. As a, head, as a head ref, his job is to do this. When a call gets made, line judge, side judge, back judge, whoever throws a flag, You all come together as a group, and you all talk about what you saw. And it's the referee's job to know the playbook inside and out, and then be able to have the conversation with them as to whether, okay, are we going to move forward with this, because this was whatever happened was against the spirit of the rule or not. In that instance, what we saw, what very much looks like a head official, who just didn't feel like he had the ability to stand up and question that. Now, here's the best part. That wasn't the worst part of their officiating day. What? Yeah, right? No, no. The total. Chris, this was one of the worst. Okay, the total penalty yardage from this officiating crew was negligible. 85 total yards between the two teams. But in so many ways and a few clutch moments, this crew was terrible. The interception call. Obviously, we all see it. Mike Pereira knows it. People who saw it on NFL Network know it. You and I know the, that was the, a offic- bad call. the official NFL officiating Twitter account tweeted it out during the game that they were getting so much flack on Twitter for it that they had to put out a statement during the game. I mean, it was a brutal call, and it definitely swung momentum against us, giving the Rams team that just marched down the field a short field and a tired defense on their way to another touchdown. But it went farther than that because there was holding, Chris, by both teams all over the offensive and defensive lines. And isn't, here's the, isn't it was that, evenly called. This is the disgusting thing to me. As I'm watching on Game Pass and I'm watching it in slow motion, I saw at least, and that's, that's just to my layman's film review eye, I saw at least nine instances of flaggable offensive holding that absolutely impacted a run or impacted a wide receiver's ability to get open. But it was on both sides of the ball. They called it evenly. I mean, Chris, if if those line judges aren't going to do their jobs, I mean, if anything, it helped the Buffalo Bills because it might have been one of the few things that kept Aaron Donald out of our backfield for an entire half of football. But aren't they calling, like, uh, not just in our game, but across the board for officiating, aren't calls way down? They are. This season? They are. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But ultimately, it's the holding. Why have a line judge if you're not going to call holding at all? The face mask call on Allen. While technically the right call, if you're Oscar from the office and believes in telling everybody, well, actually, here's what the... You shut your mouth. It is never called on a quarterback. As evidenced by the, the fact that the last one being accepted was against Aaron Rodgers four years ago. 
and the you'd have to go back like five or six years to find the next one. A decade, Chris, and it's only been called twice and accepted. Then you get the debatable non-call by the line judge on the Josh Allen fumble where he gets face masked. They don't give it to him and then somehow give Josh Allen a flag for unsportsmanlike conduct. Can you imagine being so thin-skinned on a football field that something a player said to you? I mean, this isn't basketball where you call a technical foul because somebody... 15 yards is a big deal. Yeah. I mean, that, that guy would never survive in the NBA. That's for damn sure. And then... They throw that defensive pass interference <laughs> to screw the Rams at the last second. Yeah, that's been like the biggest one across the across national media is the pass interference call. I mean, it still should have been. Uh, it was a flag. It still should have got a flag, but pi or illegal contact, a spot foul flag. It's just not. I mean, the ball and but the reason why clearly, is because the ball that Allen threw wasn't catchable. No, it is. But it's clearly. A makeup call for the shit you pulled the whole game. <laughs> it just it discourages me that these guys knew that they wanted to like. Okay, we know that there was some contact, but we don't know what variety. We don't know the difference in the severity, or the uh, we don't know the difference in severity. So we're just going to call the one that's most common. Pass interference, and you go. Well, wait a minute. That ball wasn't catchable. <laughs> that ball wasn't catchable. It doesn't fit the mold of pass interference. It should be holding. But, Chris, that underscores just how bad this officiating crew was on Sunday. They failed across the board. So, to your point, thank God that the postseason won't see any of this because you can't let those guys call anything official. But, listen, we got the W. I'm not going to spend all night railing about it. I just felt like Bills fans needed to put some context to their frustration over what was not just one or two bad calls, but just a shit day by a really bad officiating crew. <sighs> Speaking of stinking on ice, we got to talk about the Buffalo Bills defensive issues here. We knew that this was going to be a tough game, didn't we? Yeah, it was our first test. Okay, we, we had an understanding because of the complexity of the Rams' offense, the unorthodox methodology, the way that they can cook when things are clicking for them. But the ways we struggled concerned me because it was once again in the areas where our team is supposed to be solid. I mean, as advertised by Derek Ciapala in last week's show, the Rams' offense doesn't go hunting home run plays very often. They dink and dunk, and it's death by a thousand paper cuts, kind of the same way Tom Brady used to do. And that's exactly what it was. That style of play should favor a zone defense like ours. But we had some letdowns at this point that have are starting to form some disturbing trends. When I rewatch the game, I watch our cornerbacks struggle really, really mightily to contain Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. Teron Johnson specifically. I mean, they picked on him throughout the game as he gave up a number of big plays to Cooper Cup. It, it makes sense. Cooper Cup's a bigger player who's faster. Yep. I mean, Johnson's scrappy, but he's a small slot corner. So because he has the speed and size advantage, the Rams tried to just scheme up that matchup throughout the course of the game, and it worked. In the fourth quarter, he gave up gains of 17 yards, followed up by another gain of 8 yards, and then on Cooper Cup's 16-yard touchdown, it happens because Teron Johnson vacates his zone prematurely and leaves Trey White trying to chase Cooper Cup from behind as he crosses on that shallow cross route and takes it across the defense's face to the pylon. 
they picked on Teron Johnson a lot in this game. Because when you think about it, putting Robert Woods or Cooper Cup on him is a gross mismatch that clearly favors the Rams. And again, we talked about it. That's why Sean McVay is coaching in the NFL. He's the same age as us. You and I are sitting here and he's sitting on the sideline. Correct. There's a reason for this. And then despite his pick, Wallace played a role in the third quarter comeback as well. I mean, they picked on Wallace quite a bit. The one thing I think I did not get to point it out during the game because Wallace made the interception. But the one thing that that stuck out on me on that play, if you go back and watch it, whoever Epineza was lined up against, Epineza just got ragdolled. He just got taught. I went. I was like watching the play. I went, ooh. And then Wallace Yikes. picked it off, and I went, "All right, I guess I won't bring that up." <laughs> And ruin the room. We just got an interception, but I, you know, after we finish recording, go pull up the all twenty-two or your game pass and and look at that play and watch Epineza just get thrown to the ground. Chris, that's very much unlike you to be a wet blanket. You know that, right? Sure. You're tr- you're actively trying. What's happening to you? You said fatherhood softened me up. Look at you. You got a girlfriend, and all of a sudden you start to you start to get soft on me. Yeah, What's well, happening to the rock pile? Soft like puppy shit. Oh, and then I take a look at our defensive line, and I can't help but think, Chris, we, we're a little light in the pants here. Yeah, I as mean, as like I just said, Epineza getting ragged out. <laughs> Go find it. In the offseason, we talked about how this Bills defensive line was built. They have multiple players who can bring pressure. They can get sacks and waves, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <sighs> Playing two relatively green offensive lines who haven't played a lot together, we looked okay. But as we saw in this game, none of that pass rush ability means a damn thing. If you can't keep a team from dominating your defensive line and getting on top of your linebackers on a routine basis, the Rams' offensive line at the point of attack was just, it was ugly for the Buffalo Bills. And when you mix that with their pre-snap motion, the effects were devastating. In the third quarter, as the Rams were going down for their first touchdown, you watch the Bills give up a 14-yard rush that gets keyed by our defensive line, getting tied up by their offensive line, and their pre-snap motion with Robert Woods. He comes across from the right side of the formation to the left, and you watch all of our linebackers shift their angles towards the inside offensive line and towards the left tackle, and all they do is run off right tackle with Daryl Henderson. And there was no one fast enough to beat him to the corner. And that's it. Boom. 14-yard gain. Even their unspectacular runs, the six yards, the seven yards, they were not only effective, but they were the product of linebackers either not filling the correct lane or just failing to bring the running back down when they did pick the right one. Daryl Henderson is not a household name. But he's fast. And with their offensive line getting pushed against our defensive line consistently, Henderson was able to not only gain five or more yards on nine of his 20 rushing attempts, but he had the third smallest time behind the line of scrimmage, according to NFL Next Gen Stats. It's a measure of how fast a running back starts to gain positive yardage on average per carry. For all of week three, it was just 2.5 seconds. And unlike the two running backs above him in time behind the line of scrimmage, those guys were change of pace backs who only saw two or three carries. Henderson got 20 of them, which is a devastating combination that showed up on the scoreboard and the stat sheet. 
Because not only did he did he pile on over 100 yards rushing against us, but that fear of the play action, they destroyed us with that, Chris. They destroyed us with play action. What, 13 of 17 for 177 yards and two touchdowns off play action passes. Both of their touchdown passes were the product of linebackers getting frozen because they felt like they had to settle out to stop that run. It, Chris, it was demoralizing. Yeah, I was trying to pull up the, what the uh, our sack stats are as a team this year because if you remember when we had Greg Thompson on, he did, yep. he did call us to be like top five or top ten in sacks as a team this year. That was, just, that was just bold take. And we're not we're not performing like the defense that we've been the last couple of years. Well, the problem is if you want to get sacks, you have to have long passing situations. You can't get there if you're letting a team run the ball like that. And it can't continue happening. And so for everybody who didn't like Star Latule, I hope you all at home have a new appreciation for what he brought to the table. Because even though we weren't a great run defense, it sure as hell looks like we miss him now. Is Darius available? <laughs> no, he's high on a boat somewhere. Or maybe just on a dock with his captain's hat on. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, a part of me wonders if Harrison Phillips and Vernon Butler, those two players only saw 38 and 42% of the snaps on defense, respectively. They're our two biggest bodies. Maybe we need to start giving them more of the rotation. I mean, I get it. You want Quentin Jefferson and Ed Oliver in there to generate pass rush. But if a team can just line up and run a guy like that down your throat, at some point you got to get a little bit of beef up front. You have to. And if there's not a guy on this staff who's capable of providing that, then I don't know where it's going to come from. And this defensive line could be in a lot of trouble because we were really banking on Butler. We were really banking on Quentin Jefferson. Two free agent pickups who so far have been okay. You know, I'm sure that someone out there, some smart person out there will tell me, oh, well, the pass rush win rate. And, <laughs> and actually, uh, their, their metric on this is that. Here's what I see. I see a defensive line that can't keep our linebackers clean enough to make plays when they need to. And it's incredibly, incredibly frustrating. All in all, it was the second half performance of our defense that opened the door to this entire game and made it a nail-biter. No, we're unlikely to see a team that has the playbook, Chris. No team is going to bring that playbook into another game against us unless we see the Rams in the Super Bowl. Or the Ravens. Remember, Greg Roman brings 115 plays per game. Greg, Bro- Greg Roman, for as long as he is Lamar Jackson, is bringing a spoon to a gunfight. I'll see him and Lamar Jackson in hell. And Bill Barnwell. <laughs> oh, God. But you watched him use his system to manipulate our defense into so many no-win situations, and our defense was hanging on for dear life for the entire second half. That was it. And we're not going to go up against a team in the top ten for passing yardage for a while. I mean, it's, if at all, over the next few weeks. I mean, what, the Kansas City Chiefs? Yep, they're okay. pretty good. Heard of them. They're ben pretty Hill. good. We don't play many prolific passing offenses. No, we don't. So this was a test, and we barely passed it. 
But there's some things there that the team has to find an answer for that aren't just the fault of scheme. It's just roster construction and execution. I mean, if there's a silver lining to be had, it's that without that defensive performance, we wouldn't have been treated to this absurd experience as Bills fans (laughs) and a real showcasing of what this offense really can do. When is the last time you watched the Bills give up 30 points and thought they could win? That's a question I want to field you right now. Uh, the last time that happened, uh, I was really into wearing the color lime green. So that was the early 90s. <laughs> Were you one of those kids in lime green? Hell yeah. <laughs> what else do you think I put on my feet other than L.A. gears? <laughs> Did you have the shoes with the lights? No, no, they're L.A. gears. You had like 15 different colored laces with them. Oh, my God. You had black and lime green. And a hot fluorescent pink. I mean, yeah. We know your family couldn't afford L.A. gears. Hey, listen. Listen, I wore my Converse like a stud, all right? If it wasn't for that lax performance by our defense in the second half, we wouldn't have been treated to watching our offensive coordinator and quarterback continue their revenge tour around the NFL. I mean, if there's still any doubters out there for Josh Allen and the 2020 Bills offense. Sean Fahey. The quote-unquote, you slash they didn't beat anybody, or the all he does is run crowd. You were forced to suck it dry on Sunday. As Allen put on a show for the ages. The offense was clicking early, and here's the thing I liked about it. The incorporation of Gabe Davis. This, I think, speaks to the intelligence of Brian Dable as a utilizer of talent. And I never thought I'd hear those words come out of my mouth with, with so much sincerity. You knew Ramsey was going to be all over Stephon Diggs. And except on that touchdown play where I think he might still just be like looking around for him in the end zone. <laughs> yeah. And it showed that in Diggs' limited number of targets. And John Brown clearly wasn't feeling himself even before he left the game with the injury. So our offensive coordinator dialed up a Gabe Davis heavy game plan right out of the gate, avoiding their two best cover corners and letting our young weapon go to work with four of four for 81 yards, two first downs, and one catch on the sideline that all the lip service that you heard the veteran wide receivers giving about Gabe Davis all offseason. We've heard a lot of that over the years, where older players will talk up a young guy. Maybe they do it to help his confidence. Gabe Davis looks like the real deal. That was a savvy veteran move to get that toe drag. Yeah, but if you ask Sean Fahey on Twitter. Sean? It's C-I-A-N. What's C? It's Sean. C-Y-A-N is a color. C-I-A-N. The guy that hates Josh Allen. He said on that You hate Josh Allen, but your name is spelled like that? Yeah. Everybody knows Sean Fahey. (laughs) I don't. Clearly. You 100% do. (laughs) He put out a lengthy lengthy thread on the old Twitter and just took that throw and said that should have been a touchdown pass. It was a horrible throw by Allen. Gabe Davis saved him. These people, these pro football focus people, I'm assuming he's one of them. No, he's a he's an, a, a news writer. He's another nerd. Yeah, he's a guy. He's like a, Chris. He's probably by the in the time s- that this is over, he's probably in the same in the same vein as Manish Mehta, who is will stick to his "I hate Josh Allen" 
train for the rest of his career. Well, Manish actually let it go. He did. I haven't. I didn't see that. I don't. We don't follow him, and I don't care what I know. I don't want to know what he says on Twitter. Either way, you watched our quarter. We're getting into the weeds on this because I don't care what some nerd had to say about it. I mean, that's what I feel like. Chris, I feel like this is becoming Revenge of the Nerds, and I'm going to end up I'm going to end up as one of the frat boys. These nerds, these football nerds, I've had enough. No, you won't end up as one of the frat boys. Have you seen your teeth? <laughs> when you look at what... Kudos to Brian Dable for being savvy enough to see that weakness and to know that, hey, they're strong on these outside corners, but you know what they can't do? They don't have an answer. They're, everyone's going to be looking at Beasley. They're going to try to focus on him. We have a Gabe Davis, and we're going to give him a healthy dose of it in the first half to the tune of 81 yards. You can't discount that. I, I think that's I think that if anything speaks to the fact that he's got a solid handle on what he what talent he has at his disposal and how to use it. Now, when Brown went down, you saw their focus shift to Davis in coverage. And that, if I have any gripe about the job Dable did, is where they really struggled in the third quarter, which was coming up with a fresh plan of attack on the fly after the defense made some I want to say terrifying adjustments on the defensive line. Aaron Donald had no pressures in the first half. He finished the game with four pressures, two sacks, and a forced fumble, all because they moved him from D-tackle to defensive end. The Bills clearly continue to tinker with their offensive line design, and I don't think Sunday's mix was a winner. Winters and Williams didn't look great. There was the one play, the, the fumble, you look back, you see Aaron Donald all over our quarterback, and I go, who's supposed to be blocking him? And I go back and I look, and you see Brian Winters, who's not a small guy, former starter, so he's got experience in the NFL, laying on his back with his arms and legs up in the air like roadkill. It's like, what happened to you? And everyone wants to point to, well, it's Aaron Donald. Yeah, but you shouldn't get Rochambeau'd like that. That's horrible. (laughs) It's just, they allowed a lot of pressure, Darrell Williams. And it's interesting now because, Chris, as they keep rotating this offensive line around, what did did Quentin Spain do to anybody? I don't know. Maybe he missed the team meeting or something. It's frustrating. I don't know why he would not play if he was healthy. You You said he only played special teams. I was yelling at you with a mouthful of food. That Cody Ford. That's surprising. Yeah, I, I remember yelling at you that Cody Ford was out there at the same time as Brian Winters, and it didn't make any sense. And you kept saying, "No, they must be subbing him in." And I was like, "No, you don't understand. They're all on the field at the same time." Yeah, well, whenever we get uh, John Feliciano back, we'll have a what a fourth rotation Jesus. of offensive line players. I mean, maybe it's it's Patriots esque that they're testing out all these different alignments, but I think they need to figure one out and stick with it here pretty quickly because our line needs to gel fast, given the stiff competition we're about to come up against in the next couple weeks. Overall, though, Dable created a varied attack that just like the two weeks prior gave you chunk yardage whenever you needed it. And unlike previous weeks, and against stiffer competition, gave us a perfect record in the red zone. That, to me, is the most impressive feat of the day. And the one that I think bodes well for us going forward when we're going to play other teams that could make these games shootouts, especially if our defensive struggles continue. Yeah, like Kansas City in a couple weeks. And when the Bills desperately needed a ridiculous downfield play, 
Think about it. The, the play design of the third and 22 completion to Beasley. Sal Capaccio, WGR 550, he tweeted out basically a sky zone schematic of what happened on that play. All the players' motions. I don't know where he got it, so you can go find it on his Twitter at was at Sal Sports. Yeah, at Sal Sports on on Twitter. How how often does that happen to us on defense? Like yes. over the last six years. That's my point. And you just you you uh, you know throw things, maybe flip a table. You used to. I remember you talking about wanting to buy a wicker chair just to watch me beat it up over the course of a season. Yeah, I can't do that every anymore. week. Every week, take a picture of it just in a little bit more shambles until yeah. the end when it's just a pile of rubble. Yeah, because as a former fat man, that's got to be like one of your worst things that you hate is wicker. <laughs> Are you trying to say that overweight people hate wicker? A hundred percent. If if you're listening to this and you're overweight and you know it, don't tell me that you don't hate Wicker. Oh, my God. Here's what I love about that play, Chris. As I'm watching it, I'm looking at his screenshot, I'm going back and I'm watching the play in real time over at the Game Pass. His decision to take the four-wide set, and you you see Josh Allen kind of motion around, which means there's a call coming in from the booth before they cut the communication. Based on the defensive alignment, it's Dable radioing down to Josh Allen, saying, hey, look, if you call this, X, Y, and Z might happen. So, out of four wide, the running back and a tight end both go into the flats. Now, you need 22 yards. Why the hell are you running a five-yard pattern to two different sides of the field? To open the middle? That would be my guess. Bang! Because as you watch everybody, it as you watch the safeties and the cornerbacks carry with their outside wide receivers down the field, the safeties are standing just behind the first down line. They're doing the right thing. The, sa- the Ram safeties are saying, look, we're not going to let you get one over the top on us. Yeah, you don't want that. We're going to do everything we can to get ready for a, a catch in front of us so we can converge and tackle. These two seemingly harmless five-yard patterns into each the right and left flat freeze the linebacker for just a second. Because as they're playing in their, I think it was like a 4-3 look or a dime look maybe. Because given You're that, asking the wrong guy. I don't yeah, know. What that. am I, I talking to you about this for? You don't know. But you watch the linebacker hesitate because now all of a sudden he realizes oh shit, one of these guys could potentially catch the ball, and in the event of a catch and run, I have to be the first person there. One of them is now my responsibility. So he vacates his deep zone and starts to drop back towards the tackle, back in towards the like the front seven, the tackle box. The safety who's tray the cornerback kind of passes, I guess tries to pass off Cole Beasley to the safety who's also kind of looking inside because he's going, well, there's a wide open tight end somebody better do something about that and somehow in with this is the thing Cole Beasley does the best he finds these soft zones these soft spots in the middle of zone defense and he just sits right down and makes himself available and on the move Allen hits him with an absolute laser beam that allows him to continue momentum forward for a first down that right there that's it boom First down on a third and 22. What? What are we talking about? Is this the Buffalo Bills? Chris, Rick Dennison was Sean McDermott's first offensive coordinator. Do you remember what a disaster that passing game was? Yeah, you uh, often came on this show and 
offered your moving services for Rick Dennison that you will show up, you will pay for that U-Haul. You will against the Broncos, yeah. Rick Dennison called on, on we, when we needed a first down. Somehow called a play where all three wide receivers ended up in the same spot on the field. That's how dumb that man was. And yet we watched Brian Dable craft a play where the hesitation of the defensive players because of the different guys that they saw on the field and the different patterns they were running gave Beasley the window he needed to make shit happen. It's a small nuance to a play that ultimately makes a world of difference for the game and something I haven't seen from a Bills offensive coordinator in years. But none of that game planning makes a damn bit of difference if you don't have one hell of a trigger man leading that multiple wide receiver attack. On a day when the Bills are losing to a talented game manager. Is it fair to call Goff that? He's a, the If you go to dictionary.com and look up game manager, it's a photo of Jared Goff. <laughs> High school, college, or NFL? He looks the same. <laughs> he looks the same. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Josh Allen illustrated that for anyone hoping that his success over the last few weeks was simply a product of poor competition... Get your tissues out because, Chris, what he brought to the table, he's just getting warmed up. In the face of one of the most talented pass rushers that Allen's ever faced, and in just with this mountain of adversity that the Bills were handed on Sunday, Josh Allen, what can you say about the guy? Here's what I love. The quote-unquote, he's just a running quarterback crowd. Isn't that where most of the... Dis- disparagement has come from yeah everybody thinks he's a a running quarterback but in 2018 when he was our quarterback you had to run well yeah you had no choice (laughs) we had no blocking and last year he was still somewhat indecisive you could see it he still gambled he still made some crazy plays he still ran a little bit more than he should have these were josh allen's stats from the pocket on sunday he was 19 of 23 for 220 yards, four touchdowns, one interception that I think deserves an asterisk because it's the kind of interception that someone should get Tanya Harding over. Yeah. That should happen. 100%. All but 10 of his throws came from the pocket. You know, the thing he can't do because he's just a running quarterback. And the stats, when compared to the rest of the NFL, are telling us the level of talent and the level of ability that Josh Allen has seemed to have mastered over this first month of football. He had more pocket yards than total yards of nine other starting quarterbacks on Sunday. Ooh. He had more pocket touchdowns than the total touchdowns for everyone except for Russell Wilson. Lamar Jackson, the gem of an, of an MVP. NFL darling, Lamar Jackson. He's now 0-4 in games where his team trails after the first quarter since becoming a starter in the league. He finished the first half of Monday Night Football with 35 yards passing and less than 50% completion percentage. He went into the final drive of the third quarter with just 49 yards passing. <laughs> Not a single wide receiver on his team had a double-digit yardage at the start of the fourth quarter. And the Ravens lost their 10th consecutive game when trailing at halftime. <laughs> wow, you suck at this. <laughs> suck at this? But Chris, that's an MVP. According to Bill Barnwell at ESPN, that's what an MVP looks like. 
I'm sorry, that guy can kiss my ass and so can Bill. I mean, that's your reigning MVP? And yet I'm watching Josh Allen play like this. Chris, to Peter Schrager's point in our intro, if that is the guy who won last year's NFL MVP, what the hell is Josh Allen right now? It's on his way to getting MVP consideration. How do you not consider our quarterback to be a part of that conversation at this point when he's outplaying, grossly outplaying last year's candidate? Showing growth where last year's candidate is still scrambling around the field like a rookie who doesn't understand how pocket mechanics work. I mean, Chris, in that game against Kansas City, the most damning thing to me was watching, watching Lamar Jackson. On second down, he takes a snap. It's second long. He takes a snap and doesn't even bother looking for an open receiver. He just tries to run, and he gets sacked. He gets sacked because it's a running play, but he never puts his eyes downfield to even see if anyone's open. He tries to run. The defense sniffs it out. He gets sacked. He rushes the team to the line. Hurry up, offense. Let's go. We're going to catch him sleeping. He takes the snap and then drops so far backwards that he actually vacates the tackle box where your tackles can't pass protect you anymore. And he's immediately dropped for another sack. Now you're out of scoring range. You lost your team the game because you don't understand the basic mechanics of how to operate from a pocket. Guess what running quarterback figured it out, Chris? Robert Griffin III. (laughs) No, that's our boy Josh Allen. And unlike Patrick Mahomes, has yet to struggle against a defense for an entire afternoon at all this season. I think that at this point, he's played himself firmly into that MVP conversation. I'm here for all of it. But Chris, we can't just keep giving our Hero of the Week award to Josh Allen. At some point, we're going to have to accept that he just is the best player on our team. And so with that in mind, we're going to move on, and we have another candidate, and it's Tyler Croft. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, You know, I'm just just a big, hairy American winning machine. Croft has never been a dynamic open field talent. Never. Not once in his NFL career. But that's not what we signed him to be. That's not what Brandon Bean had envisioned for him when he got him in free agency. I've only noticed him one other time that was against the Steelers last year. Red zone weapon. Wasn't that in the red zone, Chris? I believe so. I believe it was in within the 20-yard range. In his best season, Croft, Croft caught less than 600 yards, but he had nine touchdown catches. That's his most prolific NFL season. He was supposed to play a similar role here until injury robbed him of his ability to get on the same page with everybody last year. So a lot of people were confused or I don't want to say upset, but angry that the Bills didn't upgrade, quote unquote, at tight end. People wanted Greg Olson when he took a visit with the team. People wanted, there was a number of different tight ends. People wanted to trade for O.J. Howard. They wanted Njoku when he when they found out that the Browns might be shopping him. The team opted to keep Tyler Croft around this season and give him a second chance. And Sunday, he, he made good on exactly what Brandon Bean saw in him. A guy who, in the end zone, he's tall, he's got soft hands, and plays with enough physicality that a lot of linebackers are going to struggle with him in coverage. And on a day when every single red zone trip mattered... Croft came up huge for this team. And because of that, 
and just the improbable nature of it all, he gets my game ball. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's a good call. You two touchdowns. He was big in the red zone, and you know, like the I said, game winner. I haven't. Yeah, Dawson Knox doesn't make that catch. Maybe. I don't. Don't you maybe me? <laughs> maybe Dawson Knox does not make that catch. Do we line up ten on the field and then have the eleventh count as a jet ski? <laughs> Oh my god. Because that's the only way he can catch is if he's on a jet ski. <sighs> and then the zero of the week, folks. And there was a lot of people on the defensive side of the ball who we thought might end up with this prestigious, prestigious award. <sighs> but that honor goes to me. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. I'm the big loser this week, folks, because of my lack of faith. Will you discuss why you suck as a fan? I'm going to pick out your Seagrams. Even seeing the graphic at the start of that final drive advertising Allen as having the fourth, the most fourth quarter comebacks in the NFL with six of them. Even after knowing how last week I predicted a close game and how high I was pregame on our ability to win a close one, I lost faith. I, I angrily fielded a question to Doug's party. Probably, Chris, 20 people? Yes. 25? To the room, asking for a heat check is what I called it. And I said, raise your hand if you think the Bills are actually going to pull this off. And to my surprise, the room was fairly in favor of the comeback. And yet I, with all of my negativity, doubled down and challenged them to a Seagram's bet on the matter. And now here we are, Chris. So what do you have for me? I have in my hand Seagram's Escapes Passion Fruit Mango for a passionate fan. That's passionately wrong. The best part about this, Drew, is that you are now 0-2 on the season on in-game Seagram bets. So I, I will hand you your passion fruit mango. Chris, while I do this, why don't you give the folks your final thoughts on Sunday's game? Well, I will start by telling them the same thing I told you last week. You haven't seen... The offense ever in your adult life come through when the defense is playing not up to par. And that's exa- that's what happened against the Dolphins. You got heartburn. And it happened again this week. And not only did they do it again two weeks in a row, they did it against better competition than the Dolphins' defense. Gather yourself. Sugar rush. Oh Again, my God. unofficial 28 grams of sugar in a bottle of Seagram's, folks. <laughs> oh. Whew. This is... These losses are getting costly over here. Well, well, how about this? Don't make in-game Seagram's bets. I will with, do what I want. With your emotions like that. I will do what I want. Chris, I'm an emotional man. Everything I do, I'm passionate. I'm passionate about all of it. Throwing bottle caps around your kitchen, yelling at you about things that aren't in your control... All of it. The whole nine. (sighs) First of all, I want to say for my final thoughts, I know I bashed the defense a lot tonight, but I need everybody here to do it. Chris, yourself included. I need you all to do what I did and take a deep breath and say it with me. Goosebraba. Just let it out. Because around the NFL, the Bills are not the only defense having a really hard time. 
In 2019, there were just seven defenses to allow a completion percentage against of more than 65%. Just seven all year. Through three weeks of NFL football, that number has skyrocketed to 18 teams. There has been at least one 400-yard passer every week this season, each playing for a different team. The struggles, while frustrating considering the makeup of this team, aren't just ours. It seems everywhere. GMs speculated that the offenses would play ugly football out of the gate, and instead it's coverage units that are taking the beating here. Now, Chris, you asked a question earlier about lack of holding. How holding isn't really being called. Yeah, with as much national radio that I listen to, that's been one of the key sticking points when it comes to recapping the week in football. It seems that officials are letting things play out. And it seems like that's fine, but the evidence says that that's been detrimental to pass defenses, which makes sense. If your pass rush can't get home, if your offensive line is allowed to hold on rushing attempts, your front seven as a whole is kind of neutralized. And what you're seeing is front sevens around the NFL are front sevens that are known for their pedigree in terms of controlling the line of scrimmage, having good pass defenses. You're watching them get shredded all around the country. I don't know how much of it is the byproduct of this, but it sure as hell doesn't help. And it's comforting, I guess, to know that we're not the only ones and that it's literally more than half the NFL is allowing an alarming number of completions to be thrown. I'll say that given their pedigree and their history, I trust our staff to sort this all out over the course of a season. And when it matters, I, I still am confident we're going to feel the competent unit. Look at the Chiefs. Their, their defense was garbage all season last year. And then when the playoffs rolled around, they figured it out. Yeah, you just need to, you need to have a great quarterback and then probably at least a top 15 defense. You do that, you're on your way. And I think we're halfway there. I think we're halfway there. (sighs) After the game, I'm basking in the glow of it all. I'm at home with some pizza and a few wind-down beers. I'm watching a little Sunday football. I mean, it was a wild experience for both fan bases. Think about it. The Rams, at one point in the game, had a 1% win probability before seeing that spike to 82% with five minutes to go. And they still lost. My wife made the point. In a room full of people, it's the first time, in her opinion, since Sunday Night Football last year, that she was part of a whole party full of people who was collectively on the edge of its seat. Electrified. Nervous. Cheering. Groaning in unison. Everyone afraid. People afraid to get up to grab a beer because they think they might miss something. That energy was palpable. The same way my anxiety is. She would have had a better time if they allowed fans at the stadium. (laughs) And in the aftermath, I just had this feeling of euphoria. My father calls me. And I pick up the phone and... Oh, God. We talk for a little bit. And he said, he goes, look, I didn't watch a whole lot of the game because I had a bunch of stuff to get done. And he's like, I have it recorded, but he's working outside. And then... We were talking about it, and he, after I was explaining to him how the flow of the game went, he was excited to go back and watch it. And as we're talking about it, I, I asked him a question. I said, is this what watching the 1990s Bills felt like? 
His answer was yes. That rather than dreading the moments where the team had its back to the wall, you relished them as a fan of football because you knew that deep down you were about to see something special one way or the other. That it didn't matter whether there was five minutes left or 50 seconds left. You weren't scared. You were excited to see what this stable of fantastic skill players, what they could, what they were capable of, especially when they were led by a quarterback who you could count on week in and week out to move mountains, to try to will a victory into existence. That's the important part for me. Someone who has the balls and the talent to will victory out of nothing. No matter how deep the hole is. Watching the end of that game and watching Josh Allen stalk his way off the field, not celebratory, not running excitedly and high-fiving with his teammates, stalking his way off the field through his teammates almost angrily with purpose. Guys are trying to high-five him and they're bouncing off of him. And you can see he's just mouthing something. He's talking to himself as he's walking. You know what that moment reminded me of, Chris? It looked like Maximus Meridius in Gladiator. After he looks into the crowd, after he just kills those five guys, and he looks up and goes, asks, are you not entertained? Is this not it? Is this not why you're here? Chris, he doubled down on it afterwards. Because in the post-game Zoom meetings, because they can't have press conferences anymore. Yep. You didn't see the Josh Allen who's, you know, remember the Giants game last year? Winking at reporters, shooting people finger guns. <laughs> hey, kind of getting glib with the media. Hey, listen, uh, you know, there's only one team in New York. Yeah, that guy, <laughs> the friendly Josh Allen. You didn't see that guy. In that press conference, he was stone-faced. And Vic Carucci asked him the question, what it was that separated him from, you know, what do you think it is that makes us, makes you capable of this? And his response was, I just want it more. I just want it more. But he, but, but that wasn't a practice line. That wasn't, Chris, it came across as genuine. We have a quarterback who just wants victory so badly, he's willing to take it from you. Damn the consequences. Doesn't matter what needs to happen, he'll find a way. If he has to do it himself, or if he finally has teammates he can rely on to make plays when he needs them. Think about that, Chris. We saw it last year. Last year, he tried to will this team to victory at yeah. personal cost. Yeah. He took a beating last year in some of these games, trying to sell out physically to win us football games. This year, he's fixed his mechanics, and all of a sudden he realizes he can trust the the Stefan Diggses, the Tyler Crofts, the Cole Beasleys. He can trust these guys to come through for him. That's our quarterback, Josh Allen, Chris. The guy we saw stalk off the field. No, no high fives, no giant celebration after he won that game. When shit hits the fan, you're going to get the best out of him. And when he's on, his best could very likely be better than anyone else's best. And as long as we're here with him playing the way he's playing right now, we as a fan base need to learn the way my father learned to, in the 90s, embrace those moments. Have fun with them. Because you have a guy who's going to go to hell and back to try to get you that victory. And for once, 
he has the talent to maybe pull it off, regardless of who the opponent is. So we need to collectively shake off the negativity of the past, myself included. In fact, maybe me more than most. Yeah, you do. I was, shake off this negativity, this dark cloud. I was actually just thinking about it right now, and hopefully Potter, when he listens to this, either texts you or texts me and 100% agrees with me. You would have, I would have put it at 100% if that game had fans and Croft catches that touchdown. You're waiting for me and Potter at the truck. 100%. I would put that at. You would have left that game. You would have been like, you would have done, you would have done your normal. I've seen this. See you later. Well, no, because I don't want to ruin your good time. Ultimately, the pressure here, that pressure of game winning drives. It's a privilege. It's a privilege that comes with being good and potentially great. The 90s Bills had that pressure because they earned the right to have it. Chris, there's no pressure if there's no expectation. Josh Allen has earned the right to, for us to expect things from him. And Sunday, he didn't let us down. I look forward to more of these games. And I think you and I can both drink to that. You've counted on restaurants, now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off your order and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Just like I have to watch Drew watch football. How else do you think do I get these amazing gifts? By watching Drew watch football. I'm so sad none of you get to experience what I get to experience Every single Sunday, watching Drew watch football. But Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. All right. And that brings us to this week's Week 4 preview, the Buffalo Bills versus the Las Vegas Raiders. I almost said, I almost said Oakland, Chris. I thought you would have had Oakland written out on your rundown sheet here do you know how hard it was they're still the oakland raiders to me 
Time, 4.15 Eastern Standard Time. 4.25. 4.25, 4.15, who gives a shit? Place the Death Star. That's John Gruden's nickname for it. And maybe he doesn't understand all the memes that are going to come out of this if they lose at home. <laughs> Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas, Nevada. I don't know who the crew is. I just pray to God it's not last week's crew. It is Spiro Ditas and Adam Archuleta. Oh, Spiro Ditas, our boy. Chris, why do we like him so much? You just like to yell his name. That's the only reason you no, like I him. No, genuinely, I have fun listening to the games he calls, and yet everyone thinks he sucks, and I don't know why. How can you listen to what Spiro has to say over the sound of your own voice? <laughs> The injuries of note to watch. Now, folks, we've had to kind of, it's a departure from what we used to do on this podcast because we used to preface every game preview with the injury report. And we might have also recorded on Wednesdays. I think we did. And now that we're doing it on Tuesdays, there's really nothing out there definitive as far as what the injury report looks like. You can question, is John Brown playing? Well, so maybe injuries to watch. For Buffalo, it's wide receiver John Brown with a calf and foot injury. And left tackle Deion Dawkins left the end of the uh, Rams game with a shoulder injury. Oh, yeah. He landed hard on that shoulder. It was, I mean, he really threw it out there. I remember them on TV talking about, wow, you know, these linemen, they're just batter, human battering Rams. Well, he took a shot. But then by the end of the game, he was in the end zone celebrating with Tyler Croft. So I don't know if maybe he's okay. That's going to be, that's a huge one to keep an eye on. Yeah. For the Raiders, it's a little more complicated. First of all, they have a trio of impact rookies that are all hurt. Cornerback Damon Arnett, out six weeks with a thumb injury. Wide receiver Henry Ruggs, missed last week with a hamstring injury. When you're a small speed receiver, hamstring injuries, that's I mean, that's your game right there. Yeah, I'm thinking about John Ross right now, his rookie year. Wide receiver Brian Edwards gets lost late in the in the week three game against New England with an ankle injury. Right guard John Simpson was out, and offensive tackle Trent Brown missed last week's game. What about Incognito? I've seen him on. Well, report. he was on IR, so he's going to be on IR. Okay. So he's not going to be playing this week either. So they're missing three of their week one starters on the offensive line. So with that, guys, it's hard to know what to expect from a team that plays. They're all the way on the other side of the country. We don't pay a lot of attention to the Raiders, the same way they don't pay a whole lot of attention to us. But luckily, we have a guest joining us tonight who's going to help us kind of answer some questions on who the 2020 Raiders are. We have Raider Cody himself, fellow Blue Wire podcast member. How are you doing? I'm doing good, man. It always feels good to sit down with fellow Blue Wire family members, man. One big happy family right here. <laughs> I mean, it's been a lot of fun. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun, and uh, they've treated us great. Everything's been good. And I got to say, I I don't listen to a lot of sports podcasts. I really don't. And when I kind of got around to saying, okay, you know, they're, they're telling us to, you know, we play a, a couple different guys, a couple different teams with podcasts on the network, I might as well listen to them and see if they fit the vibe of our show. I love what you have going on over with yours. Why don't you talk a little bit about how you got started and how you've been doing this? Because it kind of fits what we've been doing over here. Yeah, man. It's just uh, kind of a diehard. I'm, I'm not even diehard fan. If, if you're listening to this or you do anything like this, I guess we're all diehard fans at that point. But I'm just kind of an obnoxious fan that felt like I couldn't get my voice out there enough. You know what I mean? Like Twitter, 
Twitter's like a cesspool at this point, and it, you just kind of get swarmed in it. I'm like, okay, how can I put this out there to a point where people can't really talk back? So here we are <laughs> recording a podcast, you know, where you select who you want to talk to, who you want to talk back to you. Um, and you can have some good, genuine football conversations. And it's nice, too, because it's cool. I'm I'm, I'm the type to where if you uh, sit down with me and we talk football, like, you know, you're, you're Buffalo Bills fans. And we're going to play you this week. And you guys are cool dudes, in my opinion, right now. But uh, if I came across you on Twitter, it might be not the same thing. Like, you know what I mean? It, it's just a different, a different aspect. So it's really cool to get this interaction like this and just have good, genuine football talk. And um, that's kind of, I guess, what I thrive off of now, having sitting down with guys, whether it's a guest or being a guest. Um, I, I just got started just by pure passion for the game, and I'm sure just like you guys did too. Duh. Chris Chris just knew me as the drunk friend who yeah. I had a lot of strong <laughs> football opinions. Strong takes and might make those takes while not wearing a shirt. <laughs> that's, that's good. Uh, Generally listen, how it is. You got to love what you do. There's passion in it. Now, now that we have you here, there's something, as a passionate Raiders fan, the first thing, we want to start, we usually do kind of an offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball preview. Talking about the offense, there's a question that's been tearing Chris and I apart as podcast partners for years. (laughs) Since his inception in the NFL, Chris has been trying to convince me that Derek Carr is an elite quarterback. He was elite up until he broke his leg. And then he went all Trent Edwards, like when he got the concussion and just went the other way. I think that's what happened to Derek Carr. Okay, so first of all, your opinion, is Derek Carr an elite quarterback? Ooh, that is a, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) That's not even like where you can put like a yes or no on it, really, because um, let me put it in categories. Like his his mental side of things to football. Is he elite? Yes. I mean, he can run with the best of them whenever it comes to, I mean, he picked up John Gruden's system really in no time. His first year, I mean, you've seen the videos of quarterbacks trying to like repeat even just the plays of John Gruden. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Derek stumble or heard of him stumbling or having trouble with anything. Um, it seems like, you know, you have him do what you want him to do and he'll make it happen. So, uh, the mental side of things, I think he's there. Um, and then other things, I think this is where he's developing arm, arm talent, targeting his receiver. I think he's elite. When it comes to taking shots down the field, um, moving in the pocket, you know, extending the play, making the big play happen, because that's what, as football fans, we watch. As Raiders fans, those are the quarterbacks that we fell in love with, like the Ken Stablers, things like that. Um, I think that's a game where he's developing, and I think that's where, um, that's what's keeping him from being, like, to me, elite's top five. Would you guys agree? Top five quarterback. Top five quarterback. I would classify Derek as a borderline top 10 quarterback to where like last week against the Patriots, he might fall out of it just because of how the the team overall performed because there's some those plays he wanted back. You go back to Monday night football against the saints. No problem. He's a top 10 quarterback that week. So I think he's kind of just on the hinges right there. Um, and it comes down to right now, health of our team. And can we put all the pieces together and, you know, put together a, a successful um, game really just one good Sunday as a whole uh, put him in the right position don't put him in spots where he's going to wish he had that one play back um, and I think he's you know pushing top 10 and hey you get in the playoffs you make a run that's kind of where you start talking elite but even then you don't you know there's quarterbacks that we're pushing 
Like Jimmy Garoppolo. Would you call him elite? No, but he made it to the Super Bowl. So there's a quarterback um, kind of the won, category. There's a quarterback who won the MVP who threw for a for less than a hundred yards uh, last night. night. <laughs> but he's yeah. elite, apparently, if you're Bill Barnwell from yeah. ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> it's different, man. It, it's completely different. But I will say, on your side of the ball, you start looking like now he's elite, I think, in some of the same categories, but it's cool to see the the deep ball aspect. That's yes. kind of where Josh Allen gets intriguing, man, that that cannon of an arm. And, it, and it's funny seeing the relationship now with this. Uh, you, you sent me the picture uh, where we first started talking, <laughs> man. Uh, what is it? Uh, Eminem and MGK said it best, right? When your idols become rivals. Here we are, man. Oh, this yeah. Is it. This is, uh, it was a picture of the two. It was Josh Allen standing next to Derek Carr. And Derek Carr wrong. has his Fresno State cut off, and Josh Allen's standing there looking <laughs> like looking like the iteration of Captain America before all of the uh, gene therapy. <laughs> Just the thin, scrawny kid with a Fireball t-shirt on. Fireball, I, man. Fireball. I, I live kind of semi-near Fireball. And to think that an NFL player, let alone a very good quarterback came out of that town is simply amazing to me it's it's amazing so he's come oh man it's crazy it's a story (laughs) in and of itself like the fact that that kid went from this scrawny high school kid i mean they called him tortuga that was his nickname because he was slow and then you look at him he just blew up just blew up had this growth spurt next thing you know he's taking a beating at wyoming (laughs) he's not even really excelling there but i digress when we're talking about Derek carr Here's what I know, though. You want to? You haven't been as ballsy to say that, like, oh, my quarterback's elite. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's been playing elite in certain regards. He's top six for QBR in the NFL right now. Okay. He's fifth in completion percentage for 74%. Ninth in touchdowns. So right now we're still fitting that top 10 quarterback kind of narrative of yours. But he's been averaging some others. He's 15th in yardage, which isn't his fault alone. But there's this interesting metric, completion percentage above expectation. It's a, it's a metric that takes every pass by separation from the covering DB, number of cover, coverage players in the area, and the accuracy of the individual pass, and gives it a number in terms of expectation of completion, and then weighs the number of actual completions against what they should have been. Carr is fourth in the NFL at plus 8.1, meaning that based on how he's throwing the ball from game to game, he's averaged an extra 8% of uh, passer rating or completion percentage per game compared to the passes that should be caught. <laughs> it almost sounds like the guys on your team, the skill players, are making him look very good. I mean, just for comparison's sake, Dak Prescott and Josh Allen, the NFL's passing leaders as of today, have scores of 3.8 and 3.7 in that category. Gotcha. What can you tell me about the skill players on this team and how they've responded to this Gruden system? Well, finally, I mean, obviously we kind of resurrected Darren Waller. And it's not just because of his play on the field, but obviously his life off the football field sobriety um if you're a bills fan you don't know anything about darren waller um that that's like a football story you just want to know it's good to see something that's bigger than football um but to see him kind of buy into a system with john gruden and do something different that it's funny everyone talks about john being so old school and doesn't want to adapt to new players darren waller is one of those players that you've never really seen in the nfl he's one of maybe 
maybe like three tight ends in the NFL that you can get, like Mark Andrews or George Kittle, like you know things like that. Like I don't even Gronk didn't even have this kind of ability. Yeah, he was you know a big body guy, but Darren Waller can run with a receiver. Um, so for him to be able to adapt his system and turn a tight end into a guy that can play any position on the football field, you'll see him lined up at like a fullback. You'll see him setting blocks. I mean, he'll he'll sit back and I mean he might be a receiver, but I'll have a handful of plays where he's back there, you know, chipping pass rushers and helping in pass protection um, to line him out wide as an X or a Z, uh, looking for those one-on-one matchups out wide against the top corner. Um, it, it's simply amazing. Um, and obviously, Josh Jacobs, I think this year is the biggest, like you're saying, the growth in Derek Carr this year, playing well. It comes from Josh Jacobs on this offensive line being good. Um, you establish the run game. That's the number one thing for, for a John Gruden offense. If we come out Sunday against you guys and you're able to stuff Josh Jacobs, um, then I can tell you that could be a game where Derek Carr is going to struggle because we need to establish the run. We need to have all cylinders firing pretty much for um, everything to get going. Well, So here's a question. When, when I look at the injuries to your wide receiver stable, at this point oh. coming into – I know, and that's brutal. <laughs> I mean, especially when you spend a first-round draft pick. I'm an Alabama fan, so when I, when I see Henry Ruggs – Get that get a hamstring injury and he misses a game. It's like, oh no, he's a smaller guy who needs that speed. And if a hammy yeah. injury, that's that, you can't win with just physical ability alone when you're Henry Ruggs. You can't exactly. You're gonna. Exactly. Need he's dealing with the knee too. He still has that sore knee that he's been recovering Ooh. from. So you kind of worry about that. Uh, but yeah, the hammy's one thing, man. You just all it takes is. Uh, one play where you're trying just too hard and you strain it again. So, um, yeah, he, he's one guy that I'm a little worried about for Sunday. I'd prefer maybe we try and rest him. Um, but, yeah, that's that's the one aspect I think when you're talking weapons, that's what kind of took us up a notch. We obviously had Waller and Jacobs last year, but having a guy that's dangerous and going to stretch the field, uh, that's what's helped us the most. So missing him last week I think factored in a little bit, although – Derek was still, I mean, he really, I mean, his, his yards per target were up. So it doesn't really He had a good game. Aspect, we, we, on our, yeah. you know, we were talking to a Patriots guest for our second podcast, our AFC's Roundup, and we were just talking about how your, their secondary really struggled to try to contain what you guys were yeah. doing. And we, it's odd to think about the Raiders putting that kind of a passing game together, knowing mm-hmm. Derek Carr's flaws, knowing the historical flaws of that offense, how this year's iteration of it, they've really been clicking. So on Sunday, when the Bills play you guys, if Ruggs still isn't available, I mean, it sounds like that's an injury they may very much like to rest him for. Brian Edwards, he's a story for you guys. Just a rookie who came in and started playing a big role. He was touted as one of those guys who would be a late-round find for whoever took him. And he ended up on the yeah. Raiders. And he's been paying dividends, but now he goes out with an ankle injury. Your skill yeah. positions are a little bit beat up. Who do you think is going to be the focal point of your passing attack on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills, just given the makeup of our team? Well, the go-to guy in, like, must-needed downs and distances. Like, let's say it's a third and five. If there's one guy you're going to worry about, that's going to be Hunter Renfro. We call him third and Renfro for a reason. Um, he's one of those guys that, for whatever reason, is just – he's reliable. And he's, he's not sm- special. He, he's the weirdest-looking guy, too, because when you the look at him – He's the weirdest-looking dude. His build, going on 40. his build doesn't scream football no. player. It's like Cole Beasley. He is like Cole Beasley. He's a little bit taller. <laughs> I'm telling you, he's catching touchdowns on Sunday, um, and then he's 
adjusting my auto insurance on Monday. Like I can't really quite figure out like what he has going on there. Um, you know, just his physical aspect. It's, it's weird, but you watch the kid play football, um, and he's all over the place. I mean, uh, he has no fear. I mean, I watched him last year, um, just take a shot to the ribs, cracked a rib, punctured a lung at one point, took like a drive or two off, went back out there and tried to play through it. Um, Caught a down, broke a tackle, picked up a first down, and a few plays later they ended up pulling him, and they announced that he had a punctured lung and cracked rib. And it's like, goodness gracious, man, what what do we got to go through here? So he's going to be the dude that um, if there's no Rugs, no Edwards, even if there is Edwards, Renfro's the go-to guy, and then there's two guys, Nelson Aguilar, who you know all all jokes aside with Nelson Aguilar, um, he's he's creating separation. Um, and Derek's found him on a, on a few deep balls. Um, if you're going to look for a big play factor out there, there's going to be someone that make that catches a deep ball on Sunday with no Henry Ruggs. It's going to be Nelson Aguilar. Um, we're taking those shots with him, um, whether it's drawing a penalty. Better tell your DBs don't be grabbing because it seems like though there's been a couple plays where we're looking for the penalty downfield. Um, and Zay Jones, a guy that hit Derek up in March, and he's been throwing with him since March. So uh, you guys know. You guys know Zay Jones pretty well. Actually. Yeah, yeah, we've know. heard of. We, yeah, we we know that guy. <laughs> we know that guy. I actually got to I actually got to talk to him at Bill's training camp the one year, and it was interesting just in the way that he seemed like he was poised to really break out. I mean, he's a physical specimen when you see him. The dude is shredded, and he. I'm sure you've seen the video where he seems to levitate off the ground mm. as he's trying to get back up. His core strength is incredible. And yet the thing about him was coming out of college, his hands were supposed to be the best part of his game because he didn't have deep speed. He didn't have quick breaks. He just had decent route running and great hands. So we drafted him in the second round, and it turns out the hands were the worst part of his game. Oh, man. (laughs) Has that changed (laughs) since he got to the Raiders? He hasn't had really the workload, I don't think, to really see the hands. I mean, if he's getting the ball, for the most part, he's been open. Um, I will say he had one really great catch. If you guys are watching the Monday night game, uh, right there in the, in the side of the end zone. Uh, but I think that was kind of maybe just the connection that they've grown over the off season. But like I said, he's going to be a guy that, I mean, heck, maybe he does break out one of these games this season, but he's very limited on snaps. Um, but he will be a guy that gets out there and he makes one or two impact plays pretty much for the most part, I think this year, <sighs> man. And I'll say this, your offensive line has been a little bit suspect I think most of that's due to injury. Would you agree with that? Talk about injuries. Oh goodness. Well, because <laughs> all oh, about injuries. Man. It's all. Injuries. This is terrible, guys. This is this is something like for you. I haven't looked at the injury report yet. I haven't done. I do a game review every week, but about offhand, how many guys do you think you guys have on your injury report? We pro. Oh, I saw yours and I saw ours, and I'll just last week. I'll say we probably have three or four guys. Man. <laughs> I'm a hang up. That's how bad I am. That makes me mad. That makes me mad. We have, I mean, at least a dozen guys, at least um, since last week, that are just going to be lingering there, and it's just kind of like rotating the rest. Um, but offensive line has been the worst. Like losing Richie, I feel like isn't that big of a deal because we have a replacement in John Simpson, big rookie that is great in the run. I mean, he can just bully guys. That's fine. Pass protection, not a big deal. He's a guard. But then you go to right tackle, and we have this guy that doesn't get talked about much, but he comes in. I mean, we make him the highest-paid right tackle in the NFL last year. Um, 
and he was good last year. He was great when he was on the field, right? Sorry? So he played maybe 60% of the snaps last year. Um, then he comes in this year out of shape. I'm not going to go into too much detail, but he comes in this year out of shape. Um, probably, you know, a little, little too much strain on the legs, the lower legs down there. So it turns into a calf injury. Then it turns into both calves are hurt. And now it's like, okay, we didn't put him on injured reserve, so we're expecting him back within three weeks. Well, it's been three weeks. Where's he at? Um, obviously not practicing, not nothing. I don't know. I have no idea at this point. So we're going to wait and see, but it seems like right tackle is just, you know, we're just going to let it go. I wish we would have invested in free agency maybe again. I don't freaking know what to do at that point. But now our backup right tackle is out too. So we have our, as of last year, our backup guard. He was a left guard last year, and he's playing right tackle. So, so maybe that le- maybe that leads to some of the things that we're seeing because it seems like pass rushes are getting to Derek Carr pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's having to do a lot of what he does on the fly. I feel like if there's an Achilles heel to this entire offense, that might be it. I mean, you yeah. guys are feeding Josh Jacobs the ball. It's what he's got: twenty-two point seven carries per game. Yeah, that doesn't come from nowhere. I almost feel like that's just out of fear of like, hey, look, we need this to work. We know he's mm-hmm. an explosive talent. We also don't want our quarterback a sitting duck back there. Yeah, he's, even if he's getting stuffed, he's going to get the ball just to keep him humble. Because as soon as you take him out of the game, even last week, we're playing down. And we're down by like two scores. And we're still on first down, sometimes second down. We're still running the ball because we had to establish just a little bit. Just so even if they stop us, like we can even say, like, go ahead, stuff them. But we want you to keep looking for them just so we can at least factor in some sort of play action. And last week we weren't able to do that. So, uh, yeah, this uh, the injury thing's a sore subject over here in Las Vegas. And it's getting a little rough, I'll tell you what. I'm getting to the point to where I'm about ready. I'll rip my hammy out. I got a couple calves to spare. Uh, I got a few things. I can start pulling me apart like Mr. Potato Man, and I'm telling you, I'll help these players out right now. We're ready to go. Now, Chris, that's where's that level of dedication from you? That, that is very, very well dedicated fandom right there. I, I mean, mean, you're the one who's always telling me that you're an athlete, and I'm not because you play roller hockey. Yeah. Well, I, I, <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I do have no Cody. I do have no back. I threw my back out a week ago playing roller hockey. Yeah. So as long as it's not the back, you can spare like a shoulder for Josh Allen if needed. You're good. Oh yeah, this is this shoulder's like rookie of the year, <laughs> like Henry Rowan Gardner. <laughs> Jesus, flipping sides uh, of the ball. Let's talk about the defense a little bit. The Raiders' defense, I think, is the antithesis of the offense because the offense was a pleasant surprise this year, and your front seven against the run has been pretty brutal. Ugh. Oh, I, 27th in rush yards per game allowed, 29th in yards per carry at 5.6, 31st in rushing touchdowns, and four rushes of 20 or more yards. Now, the Bills... You make me throw up, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to waterboard you with bad, bad statistics here, but I want that out there for our yeah. listeners so they understand and have some context to it. The Bills' run game hasn't been prolific so far this season. The passing game has been the thing that's gotten all the headlines. Everyone's talking about Josh Allen, and rightfully so. Chris, if we sat here and said, hey, you know what? Josh Allen, his 300 yards and his comeback, that was great. But Devin Singletary, you know, he had 70 yards. Yeah, and then another <laughs> 50 through the air. They, they'd so all kill we talk us. about is Allen. They'd kill us. 
that's that's the story. But in reality, our rushing game has been okay, but not spectacular. And, and I'd say in some aspects, Chris, a little disappointing. The first two weeks, I think we expected more. Well, yeah, I don't think we're that deep at running back because we just got Singletary, and then, you know, we don't ever play rookies to begin our, with. Are we, we never play rookies, and our rookie Moss just missed his first game two games into his NFL career. So, oh. yeah, so TJ Yeldon was, <laughs> was he was the second running back who was active. He was the only running back to take carries besides Devin Singletary. The passing games carry the load, but the numbers seem encouraging that the Bills could find some success on the ground. What do you think is fueling some of those inflated statistics against your team? Is it just that you played the Patriots, who are a ground-and-pound team now? Or are there some deficiencies there that the Bills might be able to exploit? Well, uh, the main reason is injury, of course. Now, of course. Is, I was going to say, is that the common so, side here? Last year... Um, we had a pretty good run defense, and that was, I think, in the likes of having, of course, Vontez Perfect back in his old system with Gunther. Um, he was kind of able to get the defense in line. And, and obviously, as a loose cannon as Perfect was, um, he was good in that aspect. Um, he went down. We kind of had like a rotation after that with Whitehead. Will Compton comes in, another good guy that was able to play Mike in the system and kind of turn that run defense back around. Now we're in this year. We go and we sign ex-Bears middle linebacker, the backup, Nick Kwiatkowski. Um, and week one, he did great for us. Little did we know that he was going to get injured um, and have a uh, – a, it's not a um, – it's a pec injury that he's dealing with. I'm not sure if it's like a, like a partial tear or a strain. Uh, so he's been out the last two weeks. We don't have another true Mike. We have – we signed Corey Littleton. He's like an off-ball linebacker. You put him almost basically as a safety, right? You, you put him on your on your running backs. You put him on your tight ends. We have our, our next best guy, Nicholas Morrow, another gadget linebacker, not a Mike. We go and we sign uh, Raekwon McMillan, um, a, I don't know, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain this guy. I mean, he's, he's good against the run, but I don't see him as like a Mike. I see him as like, you know, you bring him in for run support, maybe like a strong side middle, like strong well, side linebacker. When the Dolphin, when he played for the Dolphins, he we watched him be one of those guys who was around the line of scrimmage, but to your point, he was playing in a 3-4 defense. He was never asked to be a middle linebacker. Yeah, so we have, those are our guys. Like, that's who we're working with now. So we have nobody to fill that position of being the heart of our run defense to get everybody shifted in the right gaps and finding their zones and making sure that at least one dude there staying patient. Um, so Kwiatkowski, small, small chance he's back this Sunday, but I doubt it. Um, but I, that's really, I think, our biggest issue um, against the run because really our defensive line is kind of ready for it. Hankins has been good. Crosby's good against the run. Um, Farrell hasn't really been able to get to the quarterback. And I mean, I guess, you know, getting the stuff in the runners, the one thing that he has going for him. So that's the thing. Can I ask you a question? How st were you stunned like the rest of us when Clellan Farrell was the pick at number? <sighs> yeah, but I was one of those fans that talked to me. Like, I talked myself back into it um, because at the time. He was what, like maybe in the projected in the twenties. Yeah. So then I go back. And I'm like, hold on a second. After the championship game, he was projected to be top five. He was actually projected to go to us. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe we got ourselves a steal. Maybe he slipped throughout the off season. This is it. 
Well, I don't know. High character, awesome. But seeing some of the guys, like for me, I, I was a Brian Burns guy. Um, I do a lot of off-season projections and, and uh, mock drafts, and I was okay with reaching for Brian Burns, a guy that was maybe a top-10 pick. Um, I kind of wish we would have. Uh, yeah. We didn't, so we, I guess we live with it. Brian uh, luckily, Burns Max has been kind of been that guy to be. Yeah, Crosby's been that guy to be elite for us, so cool, but – I'm still here. We are again. Uh, next draft, let's get a pass rusher. I was going to say Crosby's ascension as a pass rusher almost bails out the fact that yeah. Colin Farrell brings you nothing in terms of pass rush, and there's a Clemson pedigree there. I know, as having watched Shaq Lawson come in and really struggle throughout the early part of his career to establish himself in that regard, and then you go yeah. back to the DeQuan Bowers. And the, uh, what is it, the uh, Dodds, Dodds, I think, Dodson. There was another defensive end who got taken either early second round or late first, who Kevin Dodson, I think his name was, and he he retired after three years. Oh, shoot. Yeah, so Clemson doesn't have a pedigree. They have these great defensive players who work well in Brent Venable's scheme, and he makes them look fantastic until they get to the NFL. It's almost like Alabama. And Chris. cornerbacks, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like Alabama and cornerbacks. <laughs> the D. Milners of the world, who everyone thinks are going to be phenomenal, and then they suck. <laughs> Hopefully, Colin Farrell does well for you guys outside of Sunday. <laughs> so after week four. After week four, he gets my blessing. Now, <laughs> More injuries, but in terms of the Bills passing game against your defense, Damon Arnett's injury, it's big. He played the third most snaps of any cornerback on your roster, and he was clearly one of your starters. Yeah. But the Bills could also be without their number two wide receiver in John Brown. So when you look at the wash. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. So now when you're looking at the makeup of our wide receiver core. How do you think the Raiders are going to attempt to defend these four and five wide receiver formations that we've been primarily kind of running out of? Because, Chris, we're probably going to have to run a lot of 11 personnel now. Yeah. Or if if we don't have John Brown, we don't have another wide receiver. Gabe Davis was our number four, and we were using him in ways to match up against your weakest cornerback. But then when John Brown went out last week, we put Gabe Davis out there as our number two, and he disappeared because he's a rookie and he's not meant to go up against premier outside cornerback talent. So if we're missing John Brown and we do have to run a little bit more 11 personnel with Cole Beasley in the slot, Gabe Davis on the outside because he has the size. You know, we could also ask CBS to park their camera trucks as close to the field as they can. Okay, chill out. <laughs> First <See>? of all, <laughs> chill out. No. Can you believe that? What goes through your thought process of putting your camera truck in the one spot? You guys, you got me all fired up here, producer. <laughs> got me fired up here. Because what makes you think that, okay, I'm going to go to the one spot of the field where the players go horizontal the most. Like, I, there's no other spot on the field where someone's going sideline to sideline almost every single play. And we're going to put that sucker three yards off the – I mean, right there at the pylon. Yeah. Three yards off the field. It what was... are you thinking? Like, I don't care. You could have been very well on your feet. You run full speed to the sideline, you're not going to be able to stop, even if you didn't stumble. So it's it's beyond me. But, hey, let's uh, – 
Let's investigate everybody in their masks and not worry about the camera trick. <laughs> Exa- oh, no. The, the, I think it's egregious that no one got – someone better have gotten fired over that and the I fact so. that that resulted in, in an injury. But even worse is that there's no – it's not talked about. To your point, we just move on. We're just supposed to move on from what is an obvious flaw he, in judgment. He played through a sprained AC joint, and he <laughs> chipped his collarbone and had internal bleeding during that game. Jesus Christ. Christ. <laughs> my God. Yeah, I'd sue. I'd sue on Oh, that. my God. I'd sue everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> so with that said, we're going to be kind of limited in terms of wide receiver I'm expecting, Chris. I don't think John Brown, after a foot injury and then he pulls up lame in the middle of the game, I don't think they're going to rush him out there for this one. No, I wouldn't. So with that said, now we're down to one number one wide receiver, a good slot receiver, and a rookie. How do you think the Raiders are going to attempt to kind of defend that? Well, we're going to insert most likely Nevin Lawson in place of Damon Arnett. And Nevin Lawson's pretty good. Um, I'd, I'd put him maybe at the same level maybe as Arnett, honestly, because Arnett, as good as he was, uh, still a rookie, still developing. Trayvon Mullen, I see as our number one guy, and although he won't follow, uh, I see him kind of as that, our shutdown corner, and he's been playing pretty well this season, finished last year pretty strong. But what I see is our, our in our secondary that probably makes us – any type of threat in the passing game is our two safeties. Um, obviously, you're going to see Mr. Cart hitter himself. <laughs> Had he been able to square up on that cart, I think he'd have been able to knock it over. This dude, I swear, I mean, I don't know what it is. He's a little reckless, um, but you give him a line of sight, he gets the right angle, um, and he's going to try and take your head off. I mean, it, it's it's kind of wild to even say, but he's a, he's a very aggressive player. He's a very physical safety um, and then the guy sitting next to him, number 25, Eric Harris, uh, is low-key, pretty physical himself. Um, he comes across kind of as the ball hawk free safety. Um, but you give him a, sh- a, a shot, and, and he's laying some hits too. So um, coming across the middle of the field, I think, is where we eliminate things. Um, if you can catch our safeties, you know, sleeping, that's, I think, where you're going to excel in the passing game because uh, if that ball's in the air and, and Abram or Harris are within range – they're not going for the ball. I'll tell you that. They could almost get a pick, uh, but they're going to be hitting the player instead. So they're going to be they're, – they're going for shots. So hopefully uh, – yeah. I mean, we're looking at a game where Stephon Diggs is probably the most viable weapon. What kind of a game plan do you think the Raiders are going to have to try to contain that? I mean, you watched him when they left him in man coverage against the Dolphins, and they put a rookie on him, which is a mistake. You're taking yeah, yeah, yeah. a rookie and you're such putting, a good route runner. Yeah. And you're putting it on a guy like that who's competitive as hell, big catch radius, sure hands, and you watch him tune this kid up to the tune of 153 yards. Like that's that's embarrassing. Don't do that to a rookie. What do you think the Raiders are gonna do if it turns out that we don't have John Brown and it turns Stephon Diggs is our main our primary weapon in the passing game? How do you expect the Raiders to try to adapt to that? I mean, Mullen's going to be the dude that's going to be on him majority of the time. Um, if he has a chance to follow him, I think he will. We're not really the team that lets a number one corner follow around. Um, but I think if there's an opportunity of him being in a bunch formation, being in the slot, Trayvon Mullen, that's going to be his assignment. Um, and I think it's going to be a pretty good matchup. Both kind of like not undersized. Mullen's 
pretty well linky, just kind of like a Stefan Diggs. Um, they're both kind of crafty. They're both slightly physical. Um, they're more just, if anything, more about footwork. Um, and they're just, just kind of crafty. So I think that's going to be probably the number one matchup on the field. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that's going to be the main thing I hit on, and that's going to be a tough assignment. That's probably going to be the number one assignment for Trayvon Mullen this entire year, um, just to kind of keep up with the dude. The dude's a, a premier route runner, especially um, if you don't get hands on him. So I think Gunther's going to hopefully put him in a spot to where we don't get in the soft zone. And if I was the defensive coordinator and I had one of our two looks that we like to get in on defense, um, I'm going to have number 27 lining up against Diggs in his face, um, getting right there in his face, right off the line, getting physical um, and throwing him off his game and seeing what we can do. I mean, I, I'd like – I almost feel like it's a – I'm a homer in saying this, but I feel good about our chances on offense, especially knowing that – Yeah. With your pass rush. After last week, you should. After last week, I mean, watching our quarterback, he'll give us a chance in every game that he has. I mean, that's the realization I've come to, and I have to accept, I have to accept that because I doubt it. I doubt it. I had to chug a Seagram's wine cooler earlier on this podcast because, Ooh. yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It was... It, yeah, Cody, that's a, that's the method to our betting system. I don't want Drew's money. Drew doesn't want my money. I want shame. We, yeah, we bet with shame. So if you have a shame. football take, if you have a football take, like claiming that the Rams are going to win the game in the fourth quarter, put a Seagram's on it. And Wait, what? Yeah, and then one of the loser has to chug it in front of everyone who's listening to this, and then you talk about, oh, God. Yeah. I, I swear to God, one of us is going to get diabetes by the yeah. time this is over. I was going to say, my head hurts just thinking about that. So oh, that's so bad for you, man. You guys as a team have three sacks. Our <laughs> leading pass rusher has three sacks. So <laughs> I guess my question, if there's a oh, threat man. to Josh Allen being the answer to our problems on Sunday, who do you think it's going to come from? I mean, Max Crosby Ooh. seems like he's done a good job, but two sacks through three games, that's not a lot. Yeah, just like you said, the three sacks and two of them came last week. So, oh, man, it's hard to say. I, Mo Hurst, coming out of the interior, number 73, has been a guy that's been getting a lot of pressure up the middle, um, something that hopefully we'll be able to get in his face. But I think it really only has to be Max Crosby. Um the issue with who we've been facing lately is they've been getting the ball out pretty fast. Um, that's really like they kind of just have a game plan drawn up, go to this receiver, go for it. I think the only chance we have against you guys um, is I feel like Josh Allen kind of rides it out a little bit. He kind of waits for that play to happen. Um, he looks for that open receiver to develop. Um, he's very patient. So hopefully he's a little too patient for us. That's kind of what I want. <laughs> that's what I want to see. I want to see something different because um, as dominant as you guys have been, We've had flashes of good things, too, and, and it's intriguing to me because I feel like we actually have a pretty good matchup. Kind of our weaknesses kind of go with your weaknesses in a way. Like, and it, it seems like, uh, just like you said, you struggle in the run game. Good thing our defense struggles there. <laughs> our secondary has been pretty well. I think our secondary can match up pretty well with Josh Allen. I don't really know how it's going to turn out. Um, but like I said, the only, the only thing that you guys got to pay attention to if things get a little wonky, uh, if, if Josh Allen gets out of the pocket, um, if there's something that's kind of breaking loose, uh, number 24 coming across the field, um, just hold your breath. Hold your breath because he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's coming for you. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> and, hey, 
and it, he, it bit him in the butt last week because he uh, he over pursued a couple times. He over pursued. He went for the big hit. Um, took a, we- a couple weird angles. You know, looking to kind of just lay the hammer. So hopefully, we know we'll see what that translates to this week. We'll see if he kind of contains, tries to just make a normal tackle like a normal human being, or if he keeps trying to hurt people. So we'll see what happens. That seems like the Raider way to play football. Even it going back is. to the seventies and the eighties when. Your defensive lineman used to take duck uh, cardboard and duct tape and put it around their wrists and just batter people to pieces with it. This is a throwback matchup, and I, I, I wish they were still playing that type of football, but it's going to be a lot of fun nonetheless. Your prediction, sir, on the final score. We always take one from a guest. Oh, man, I'm not a final score guy. All right. But if I had to give you one, I say our offense goes back to scoring 30. And I says, I say, I says, I say your offense. Who's who chugged a wine cooler earlier? Was it me or you? Um, <laughs> I says we thirty four thirty Raiders. All right, you like your squad, and we love you. <laughs> Tell everyone where they can find your podcast and where they can find you on social media. Uh, just Google Raider Cody. Look RaiderCody dot com. Um, Bills Mafia, as you guys go by. Uh, I know you guys are wild. I'm a little rowdy myself. Follow me on Twitter throughout the game, at Raider Cody. Um, we kind of get a little crazy over there, silver and black. Fans are a little emotional, as I'm sure you guys are. <laughs> we, don't, we don't break tables, um, but we're, we're emotional in our own way. So, uh, yeah, um, I'm looking forward to the matchup, guys. I appreciate you guys having me on, too, man. This is fun. All right, you can go follow Raider Cody on Twitter, at Raider Cody. Also part of the Blue Wire Network. And that brings us to our keys to victory, Chris. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. The first one here, the first one I see, containing the rush. The Rams had a pair of running backs with different skill sets, but it was the combination of solid blocking up front and speed going north and south that really gave the Bills just fits on Sunday. It's not going to get any easier as they're about to take on one of the more dynamic running backs in the entire AFC. I mean, Josh Jacobs, he's a force at running back, Chris. He really is. He's second in the NFL in rushes for first down, primarily because he's so consistent in the early downs of possession that it isn't hard for him to mop up whatever yard or two is left over after the fact. He's also in the top five for touchdowns. He's he's an all-purpose three-down back. Small, compact, powerful. And if you put... And if you allow your defensive line to get big boyed the way we did on Sunday against the Rams, you're going to be in for a long afternoon because that's going to be the stabilizing force their offense needs to get its legs underneath it. I mean, what we saw Henderson do to us and the effect it had in opening up play action throughout the game, we've got to get on them early in possessions to make sure they don't have that. Just, just because you saw how negatively our defense responded to it. Number two, get creative with pressure. Despite all of his success, Derek Carr is ranked 19th in the NFL in time to throw. When you look at the injury report, you can see why that happens. You've got Incognito, Trent Brown. I mean, you've got multiple starters who haven't really played a lot of time for him. And they've been having to play a lot of backups at a position that, Chris, it's fair to say the Bills have been shuffling guys in and out of the lineup and on on the offensive line. Yep. But that's also a position that we're intentionally deep at. Yes. 
You know whose name I haven't heard you say much this season? Who? Ty Inseki. Ty Inseki. He hey, he played. Who knows? Maybe we see Ty Inseki. Maybe maybe he's part of this rotation puzzle that the Buffalo Bills keep trotting out every week. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what that rotation looks like as a whole. But either way, when we're talking about the Raiders, you have to create pressure. And because when you look at the effect of it, you can see it both in the box score of their games and on tape. In their loss against New England, two fumbles lost in the pocket, two sacks. In the win against New Orleans, two fumbles lost. Well, two fumbles, he lost one, and they gave up three sacks. Incognito is already on the IR. Their starting right guard is questionable even if he does play. Trent Brown is probably a 50-50 shot to see the field. This is an offensive line that's allowed two teams with average to below average pass rush packages to not just make sacks, but force turnovers, big negative plays. The Bills have got to find a way to exploit that. And their best bet to do so, I think, is in the middle of the offensive line, especially if Trent Brown does come back and start for the team. Our defensive tackles have to find a way to be more impactful. Quentin Jefferson was a guy that we brought in here because of his pass rush win rate and all the things that they liked him to do. And he can line up anywhere on that line. Okay. Well, they need to find a way to get creative with his utilization the way the Rams did with Aaron Donald. Find a way to get that guy who can win in pass rush situations. Use that to your advantage. You got to mix it up because whatever you did last week, take that and throw it away. It didn't work in the second half of the game, and they solved you pretty quickly. If you can fix that aspect of this, you can, right there, just with your defensive line, make life easy on the rest of your defense. And then third, establish a ground game. This is part scouting and part rethinking what happened last week in the second half against the Rams. Singletary has yet to have a game. I put that in quotes. A game. Just on the ground? I just mean in general, like when you look at Singletary, he has yet to have a performance. Like everyone said, hey, Singletary, he's the Steelers game is a perfect example of it. When he showed up and made multiple critical first downs, he was all over the field catching the ball, run after the catch. He was making impact plays. We had 71 yards rushing and 50 catching on uh, Sunday, which is... He had a decent... To me, that's a game. He had a game. But I'd wager that this one could be bigger. This is it. I'm talking the 100-yard rushing game. I'm talking the game where you walk away from it going, wow, that Devin Singletary. Because is Devin Singletary the story of Sunday's game against the Rams? No. No, no it's, jo- jo- you almost it's Josh from, Allen. You almost it's forget Josh, that he was there. It's Josh Allen and Josh Allen every week. Okay. So with that said, Singletary could have himself a game and could help our offense dictate the pace of play and dominate the time of position if we can find a way to get that ground game going. And this team, as we talked about the statistics earlier, is soft in that department. This is a perfect time for it. And if Zach Moss is healthy enough to play, that becomes that much easier. And I think part of the the other piece of this to me is, in the second half, we saw our passing game can very much still, for as good of a game planner as Dable's been here in 2020, It can bog down if Gabe Davis is being looked at as the number two instead of the number four option in the passing attack, which is where he probably still belongs at this point in his career. If John Brown can't go, 
Establishing the run is going to give us the ability to incorporate more play action, which is going to take some of the load off Beasley and allowing our both he and our tight ends to a little extra room to operate in the middle of the field. Because, Chris, look how hard it was for us to move the ball in the third quarter. It's always been that way. Okay. Even in the fourth quarter, things were difficult because we we essentially lost Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis and had to get it done with running backs and with a little bit of tight end usage. And you had Diggs making plays for you, but it was just, it was it was tough sledding. I think with a little bit of play action, if you can establish that ground game, it doesn't have to be that way. And if you can do it early enough, you can ride that to, I don't want to call it an easy win, but I think I can still call it convincingly a win. Your predictions on the score for Sunday. I feel like I have to just roll this train all the way through to Kansas City because before the season began, I did throw out there that there is the, uh, the potential that when we get to that Thursday night game against Kansas City here in Buffalo that, as of right now, no one's going to be at, both those teams are going to be undefeated. So I got to stick with it. I got to stick with the Bills. The Raiders have too many injuries. I don't even know what the, I don't even know what the spread the is. Your boy Derek Carr is not elite. Well, yeah, not anymore since he broke his leg. But I think we win this game. I don't know what the spread is. I think we're favored by three. I think we'll. I think we will cover the spread of three because I think that's what it is, and I think we win the game thirty-four to seventeen. Thirty-four seventeen. Wow. All right, you're you're asking for a lot here. I think we win this game simply because this is an opponent who they've they beat the Saints. Good for them. Good for you. You got run over by a New England Patriots team with a quarterback who everyone knows can't throw the ball. Facing a quarterback who can throw the ball and has multiple dynamic weapons at his disposal, I just I think it's too much. I think we're too much for them. And I think our defense is going to start to round into form as the season goes on. I, I think this is just a game that you have to have, right? You have to have this game if you're the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, it just extends your lead in the AFC East. Yeah, but knowing how hard the games get from here, you have to have this one. Well, it's already going to be hard because I don't know if you know this, but for a football team, just think of how big our players are. Just they're six five, huge guys flying across. If you the country, say, "Oh my God!" Flying across, get out of the kitchen. Get out. Out, walk away. They got to sit in those tiny get airplane out, chairs. Out, get out of here. That's why they're not good on the West Coast. Yeah, I heard sit. one other hack make that take. <laughs> I don't listen to their podcast anymore. You leave the kitchen for five minutes. My prediction, I think the Buffalo Bills win this game. It's another nail biter. I think the heart attack Bills come back. You're calling a comfortable win. Yeah. I think it's the heart attack Bills. I think we have to win this in a close one because you're on the road. You're flying across the country, but I don't think. But that, that's just. I think. Why? <laughs> oh, I hate you so much. I can't even stand looking at you. <laughs> Come on, give us a prediction. People want to know. Oh, my score. I, I feel like it's going to be something in the ballpark. If we hold them to seventeen, I'm calling twenty-four seventeen. But it's a fine. But it's a late score that puts us up, and we put them away on the comeback. 
I think that's what it's going to take. Because I don't see with the state of our defense, we're going to be playing a lot of track meets. But we finally have a quarterback and the wide receivers to get it done. Can't wait for Sunday, Chris. We got to, Chris, a 4-0 start for the Buffalo Bills. I don't even know what to make of it. I don't know what to think of it. I Potentially looking, based on how things go with Kansas City and New England, a two-game lead in the AFC East. Sunday's game is enormous. And yeah. I can't wait. We're here for all of it. Folks, follow us on Twitter at Rock Power Report. I'm sure Chris is going to have multiple gifts made of the nonsense going on at the because this is these are the parties that Chris attends and then watches me when I'm watching football. It's a little creepy, but it's funny enough that I let it slide. It's worth it to our listeners as they get to see these unbelievable gifts. Yeah, yeah, Greg Thompson really appreciates it. Yeah, we gotta get the hell out of here. You're still drinking. I got stuff to edit. That's Drew Gear. I am your producer, Chris Kruger. And you were just listening to the Rockpile Report. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word, Bet Online, your online sports book experts.